beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, you are so rich because you belong to Jesus Christ. We're up to the Lord's days in the catechism that deal with the work of Christ, his work for us. This afternoon, the Lord's Day pays attention to his suffering. The following one next week, his death and burial. And then the Lord's Day after that, his resurrection. And week after week, you will see more of the riches you have in Christ. The Apostles' Creed is not simply about things that Christ did as an interesting historical figure from the past. Christ's birth, suffering, death, resurrection are not just facts of history. They are facts of history, but not just facts of history, but they are facts of redemptive history. What he did for you and for me. This is important, for also in his sufferings, congregation, you are made rich. We'll see how Christ's suffering makes us rich, particularly in the context of our own suffering. We all experience the brokenness of life in various ways. There are chronic aches and pains, failings, strained relationships. And each one of us can add to the list of sufferings that we experience in our own lives. Not that we can put Christ's suffering on one line with our suffering. If we do this, then we might even wonder if Christ suffered more than what some of his people will have to Christ might have suffered his whole life, but it was not a long life, and at least he was healthy enough to be able to do his task as a preacher and teacher during that time. And then the final suffering only lasted a couple of days, and it was all over. But we must not put Christ's sufferings on one line with our suffering. That would be to deny the totally different character of the suffering of Christ. It's only because his sufferings are so totally distinct from our sufferings that we are able to be enriched by his suffering. He suffered in a way that no one else ever has or will. And thus we are rich even in the midst of our suffering today. And so I proclaim to you God's word under this theme, faith in Jesus Christ who suffered comforts God's people in their suffering today. We'll see three things. First of all, Christ suffered throughout his life. Secondly, Christ suffered especially at the end. And thirdly, the comfort we have in our suffering. So the theme, faith in Jesus Christ who suffered, comforts God's people in their suffering today. Christ suffered throughout his life. Christ suffered especially at the end of his life. And finally, the comfort we have in our suffering today. There's a close connection between curse and suffering. And it's no surprise, therefore, that the word curse also occurs in this Lord's Day, which speaks so much about the suffering of Christ. To suffer is to experience the effects of the curse. Curse is the opposite of blessing. To curse is to take away or to reverse a blessed state and replace it with something far worse. This afternoon we read a section from that chapter full of curses. 
There Israel was warned about the curses that would follow as she disobeyed God's law. In the last verse of chapter 27, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, God had said. And then chapter 28 works out that curse in extended detail. We need to consider the the context in which God proclaimed these curses on his people. People of Israel were about to enter the land of Canaan. God was fulfilling his covenant promises made to Abraham years before. Understand the significance of Canaan. What Israel enjoyed in the promised land, that was was the beginning. It was a foretaste of the removal of the curse that hung over creation. When man had fallen into sin, then a curse had come over creation. Cursed is the ground for your sake, the Lord had said to Adam. But by bringing his people into the promised land, God was giving his people a beginning of the removal of that curse. It's even clear from the way in which they inherited the land, as we read in Deuteronomy 6. God was bringing his people into the land to give them large and beautiful cities which they did not build, houses full of good things which they did not fill, hewn out wells which they did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which they did not plant. As Psalm 105 puts it, Israel inherited the labor of the nations. Others had done all the hard work. And Israel was able to receive that as a blessing from the Lord. Others had worked hard for these things under the curse that hung over creation. And Israel inherited the promised land with all that was in it as a blessing from the Lord. And the Lord promised them continued blessing. The beginning of Deuteronomy 28 is all about the blessings God would shower on His people if they were faithful. God said they would enjoy the turning around of the curse that hung over creation. They would be blessed in their cities and blessed in the country. The fruit of their body would be blessed and the offspring of their flocks. The Lord would command His blessing over their storehouses. The Lord would bless them and grant them much produce from the ground. They would not endure suffering, but life in its fullness as a result of the blessing. It's in that context that God spoke about curses on disobedience. There would be plagues, sickness, scorching heat. They would be pursued by their enemies, killed by the sword, plundered and oppressed continually. The list of curses made clear if Israel was disobedient, she would suffer. She would suffer pain and sorrow, death and misery, hunger and hardship. If Israel despised the blessing of their inheritance... If there was no thankfulness shown to God for the prosperity of the promised land, then God's curses would come over His people. The curse of Genesis 3 would be experienced in its full force. In fact, it would be even intensified. And note well what God said in Deuteronomy 28, 29. They would suffer oppression and no one would save them. And how did Israel live in the promised land? They were unfaithful and disobedient repeatedly. Just read through the book of Judges, Samuel, the kings. Israel's turning away from the Lord is like a refrain. 
And so they often experienced the curse. They suffered famine and hardship. They suffered enemy oppression and plundering. They suffered being put to death by the sword. And that curse of Deuteronomy 27 also applies to the New Testament people of God. As we read in Galatians 3, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Suffering is all that we deserve on account of our sin. Scripture makes that clear. Like Israel, we too are the covenant people of God. And like Israel, we can only expect the curse. We can only expect to endure suffering on account of our sins. But this Lord's Day 15 is about how our Lord suffered. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth as a man, born from a woman. And he was also born under the law. He too was a member of the covenant. Those words were very applicable to him as well. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Those curses of Deuteronomy 28, which would lead to all kinds of suffering, also hung over him. Our Lord grew up as an ordinary Jewish boy. He would have learned the Old Testament scriptures. He would have heard what God said in his law. That if his covenant people were disobedient, then they could expect the curse. They could expect suffering to follow disobedience. Our Lord Jesus Christ was born under the law. And look, he suffered throughout his whole life. He, the King of Israel, was not born in a glorious palace surrounded by wealth, but to poor parents and in a stable. As an infant, unable to fend for himself, yet he was persecuted by cruel Herod who tried to take his life. His parents had to flee with him from Herod's sword. His suffering continued throughout his life. We know little of his growing years, but we see plenty of suffering during his ministry, during those three years of preaching and teaching. He suffered misunderstanding by family members who did not understand his true significance. He was rejected by the people of his hometown in Nazareth. They tried to throw him over the cliff to kill him. Imagine that. They're probably the people he grew up with. And there they are, totally opposed to him, hating him, trying to kill him. Imagine the exclusion. How this must have made our Lord suffer. This hatred from his own townspeople was matched by the hatred he experienced at the hand of the Jews. They did everything they could to catch him out, to undermine him in his work. They listened carefully to what he said, but they listened as critics to catch him out as a fraud. They were always watching out for him, to prevent him from working fruitfully among the people of God. They plotted to kill him. And then in his work of preaching and teaching, our Lord saw unbelief. He saw hostility. He saw rejection. He did not see a rich blessing on his preaching and teaching how our Lord suffered. Imagine the loneliness this must have caused him. Even his beloved disciples 
so often misunderstood him. Think of how Peter even tempted him. A time when the Lord Jesus had to rebuke his beloved disciples and said, Get behind me, Satan. And then the abuse from the Sanhedrin, when they finally did lay their hands on the Lord, their mockery, their slander, and even their striking him. Prophet Isaiah captures this in one phrase. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was a man who knew sorrow and suffering throughout his life. Yes, he lived as one whose life was under a curse. When we consider the suffering of the man Jesus, the one born under the law that proclaimed a curse over all those who did not keep it, then it would seem that our Lord must have been a terrible covenant breaker. So much did he suffer. But we know, beloved, that that was not the case. As Isaiah writes further, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We thought him smitten smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Our Lord experienced what it was like to live under the curse of Deuteronomy 27. But he did not do that on account of his own sin. He suffered for our sins. The misery the exclusion, the loneliness, the grief he endured. That was all due to the curse that God's people brought upon themselves because of their sin. And thus his suffering is not like the suffering experienced by God's people today. For in the Old Testament, God did not abandon his people completely. God in mercy would send them a deliverer. He would send judges and kings who would free them from their enemies. Old Testament Israel tasted, tasted the curse on disobedience, but never the fullness of that curse. God always came to them every time again with deliverance and salvation. Also today, we cannot compare our sufferings with that of Christ. For when we suffer, we can look in faith to Christ who has suffered for us. We know that our suffering is not on account of God's curse on our sin because Christ has taken that on Himself. But for Christ, that was not the case. For Him, there was no deliverance or salvation, no mercy. He bore God's wrath. He bore God's curse over sin and disobedience. There was no way out for Him in His suffering. Nothing, nothing to give Him comfort. Every suffering he endured was another part of that great payment he was making for sin, pushing him down, down, down. He bore in body and soul the wrath of God against sin. His suffering was not only physical, but also spiritual. He knew that his suffering was more than the sadness and difficulties he experienced. Our Lord would have known those words of Isaiah 53, how those words must have burdened him. He was suffering because of sin. That knowledge made his suffering so much worse. Every bit of suffering was another expression of the anger of God against sin. And our Lord knew that. Our suffering is not like Christ's suffering. To say that it is would be to empty Christ's suffering of its awful significance. 
He suffered under the curse, the anger, and the wrath of God. And what was true for the life of Christ was also true for what happened at the end of his life. And that brings us to our second point. Christ suffered especially at the end of his life. Our Lord's Day points out that although Christ suffered throughout his life on earth, he suffered especially at the end. The last two questions and answers of our Lord's Day deal with two elements of our Lord's suffering at the end of his life. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Although a number of attempts had been made on the life of our Lord during his life by Herod when he was a baby, by the people of Nazareth when he preached there, by the Jews who on at least two occasions tried to stone him and who were forever trying to lay their hands on him to kill him, none of these attempts succeeded. As one book put it, God would not permit him to be killed by a street gang or an angry mob or by any other illegal way. Instead, our Lord had to be condemned by the law, condemned in a legal way. The Bible teaches that rulers are God's servants. They are given by God to ensure that justice and right is maintained. And that was Pilate, a servant of God. He was there as a civil government. He was there to punish wrong and to reward those who had done good. And then see the struggle for truth and justice in his court. At least three times this judge, this servant of God, proclaimed that the defendant was not guilty of any crime. He said, I find no fault in him. And later, I have found no fault in this man concerning the things of which you accuse him. And again, what evil has he done? I find no reason for death in him. All those quotes from Luke 23. But justice was denied that day in court. God's representative Pontius Pilate, the one called to administer justice in the land, did not administer justice. He made it clear, this man is innocent, but nonetheless condemned him to death. I am innocent of the blood of this man. You see to it, the blood of this just man, he said. And he delivered him to be crucified. See the injustice, beloved. Our Lord's Day says, though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge. The very person who showed us just how innocent Christ was, was the judge who condemned him to death, who gave him over to be crucified. Imagine the injustice. The suffering this must have given our Lord. For the judge to say, this man is innocent, and you wait the the sentence, and you expect to be told you can go free, he's being told, this man is innocent, but you kill him anyway. And yet this judge acted as God's servant, God's representative. We know those words of the Apostle Paul, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He, the innocent one, was condemned as one who was guilty of sin. So that we might be declared righteous before God. Justice was perverted in the court of Pontius Pilate. But God was sovereignly working through this so that the innocent one was condemned to death 
and that the guilty might be set free. Congregation, our suffering can never compare to Christ's. Even if we are wrongly accused, we can never plead perfect innocence of any wrong. By nature we are sinful and we know even if we are not rightly accused, then there are many other things that we have done wrong for which we could be rightly accused. The injustices done to us in whatever way will never be like the injustice done to our Lord. He was perfectly innocent and he was condemned to a cruel death, a death reserved for the worst criminals. And that's another aspect of his suffering. Pontius Pilate condemned him to death on a cross and that only added to his suffering. And there again, congregation Christ's suffering are completely different from ours. You can see this by comparing Christ's suffering, picture him on the cross, with the suffering of the two men who died with our Lord, particularly that criminal who died believing in Christ. They were criminals. As one of them said, rightly being crucified for their crimes. Like our Lord, they too would have had their hands and feet nailed to the cross. They too would have suffered the horrible pain of slowly dying as they hung in the hot sun. But their suffering was physical on account of their wicked deeds. However, our Lord's suffering extended to his soul. He knew his Bible. He was familiar with the Old Testament. And the Old Testament said, a crucified one, crucified one is cursed by God. We should briefly take a look at the place where that occurs in the Old Testament. I invite you to take your Bibles and Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and we turn towards the end of the chapter. Verse 22. There we read as follows. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. But did you notice the order, beloved? If he is put to death and you hang his body on a tree, In the Old Testament, the common way of putting people to death for disobeying God was for them to be stoned. And so Deuteronomy here is speaking about hanging them on a tree after they had been stoned to death. The dead body was hung from a tree as a sign that this person, this criminal whom we've put to death, this criminal is accursed of God. Man could do no more than put the wicked to death for his sins. But the hanging on the tree added an element to the punishment. It showed that this person was also under God's curse, rejected by God because of his wickedness and sin. 
And our Lord was hung on the cross while he was still alive, while he was still conscious. Had our Lord been stoned, then his suffering would have been far less. He would have died a lot more quickly without being confronted with the curse of God. But Pilate condemned him to a slow death on a cross. And that cross spoke of the curse of God. He hung there, conscious of what God had revealed in the Old Testament. A crucified one was cursed by God. And so our Lord suffered terribly on the cross. Far more than any of his people have had to suffer. Consider that robber who was also on the cross, who died believing in Christ. He too died on a cross, dying with terrible suffering. But he was dying with comfort. Having heard what our Lord had just said, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. As terrible as that criminal suffering was, it was nothing compared to Christ's. That criminal died knowing that he belonged to Christ in life and death. But our Lord had none of that comfort. There he hung, the innocent one condemned to death. The one made to be sin who knew no sin, he hung there knowing that the curse of God hung over him. And beloved, how he tasted the fullness of that curse. In those three hours of darkness, he was forsaken by God. The believing criminal hung next to him, comforted even in those terrible dark hours, knowing that the same day he would be with Christ in paradise. But Christ hung there experiencing the fullness of the curse. My God, my God, he cried out, why have you forsaken me? No comfort, but only the deepest, most incomprehensible anguish and despair. Cursed be he who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And our Lord experienced that curse throughout the sufferings of his life. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree and there our Lord hung Cursed by God, forsaken by God. O oh, beloved, what terrible, incomprehensible suffering. And in His suffering, do we find comfort in our suffering? And that's our last point. The comfort we have in our sufferings. Still today we experience suffering. We suffer physical hurt, illness, ongoing ailments that get us down. We suffer mental and spiritual anguish. We experience suffering in strained relationships in our homes and church community. We suffer failings. We suffer when things do not work out. In different ways we all meet with suffering in our lives. But then... We need to look to the sufferings of Christ in faith. We must not only confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I believe in Jesus Christ who suffered. He suffered for us. As Isaiah had said, He has borne our griefs. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. Christ suffered for sins, writes Peter. The just for the unjust that He might bring us to God. He experienced the curse so that we might be set free from the curse. 
Look to the sufferings of Christ in faith, beloved. Look especially to the cross of Christ in faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Be assured that He took upon Himself the curse that lay on us. That's the only way we can be comforted in our sufferings. We need to have faith in Christ who suffered in our place. But when we have that faith, then the curse is gone. Christ suffered. But He suffered under the fullness of the curse. We suffer. And a curse has been taken from us. That's the big difference between Christ's suffering and ours. Christ suffered under the curse so that even in our sufferings we can be assured the curse is gone. We have peace with God. We will not be forsaken by Him. With that perspective, there is no longer a curse in suffering, but a blessing. For if the curse has been taken out of our sufferings, then we can trust they are being used for our good. God only works for the good of those who love Him. God uses our suffering to strengthen our faith, we read in James 1. To equip us to better serve Him as His children. God uses suffering to produce endurance in us so that we might not give in to temptation. Sometimes God even uses suffering to confirm that we do belong to Christ when we suffer hostility and ridicule from the world. We can be comforted knowing that they hate us because they have hated Him first to whom we belong. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Our suffering might be difficult. It will at times bring us to grief and tears. But it cannot make us despair anymore. For the curse has been taken away. God is working for our good in our suffering. That's our comfort. Let us then end with some comforting words from Romans 8. Paul cries out that he considers that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in God's people. And why could he be sure of that? Because he knew the love of God in Christ. The curse is gone. Christ took it upon himself. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? asked Paul. Who is he who condemns? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even any of the sufferings we experience in this life. Not tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. That was not true for Christ. He was separated from the love of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered the fullness of the curse. But he did that to fill us with his blessing. That's the riches we have in the suffering of Christ. The curse is gone. There is no more enmity with God. And one day even the sufferings of this present age will be gone when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. When there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. When there will be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. We endure suffering today. Comforted in our Lord who suffered in our place, looking forward to, to the end, to all suffering that will soon be here. Amen.